welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Clayton Langlesigich. Roy Vanderwater. I'm Jade Meskill. Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk about the concept of potentially shippable software. Uh, so Impossible. You, yeah, so you hear about that in kind of Scrum literature and, and the idea that uh, the team should focus on every iteration, every sprint. They should be delivering potentially shippable software. So, uh, is that possible? Impossible. Okay. I, I, I think it kind of depends. Like, I think that in most software situations, it's totally possible to at least uh, have some kind of idea, like to, to at least have some functionality that the product owner could take advantage of. It may not be polished enough that the company is comfortable with, um, with, with sending it out to the actual users, but they should at least have something that works. Uh, so then I, I think the next kind of step that this discussion goes down is what does it mean to be potentially shippable? I guess it, so. For me, go ahead. For me, it means that it's uh, done to the level of quality that it should be if you were going to release it. So, if if the project got canceled tomorrow, and, and you had to ship what you had, that you delivered some value of some sort. Does it matter if the product doesn't really do anything? If the product doesn't do anything, then what have you been doing? <laughs> exactly. Okay. So <laughs> let's say that you're building something that's fairly complex or you think it's going to be fairly complex and it's two iterations in. Can you have potentially shippable software after the second iteration or even the first iteration? Yes. So how can you do that if it doesn't really do anything? It, it can so. do something, but it sounds like what you have is a case of trying to work on an epic across multiple sprints. And maybe if you broke that down into smaller pieces of functionality, like I, I'm confident that however large a story may be, I'm willing to guarantee that we can break it down into a smaller story that you will get some functionality out of within a one-week iteration. Yeah, I, I think it requires a radical redefinition of how we develop software, um, and, and not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but from what, what does value mean for a software project. And I think if you can, if you stop trying to build this giant system and just focus on solving small problems, uh, it, it helps you be able to deliver something of value. So, uh, for instance, if we're if we're trying to deliver some web application, you know, a lot of teams like to focus on building the user authentication system and all this other stuff up front. But is that really what you're building? Are you building a user authentication? system or are you building a tool that's solving some problem so let's say that um, I work for say like some bank and they have some terminal application or maybe like a desktop application that the tellers use and mm -hmm. the you know C-level so-and-so says um, I just bought an iPad and I want the I want this app on my iPad or whatever right so they have this some kind of direction that they want the, the mobile app and so someone says, okay, well, let's build it in the browser. And so the application as it stands now does a whole bunch of stuff. And if you were to, say, rewrite the whole application in HTML5 because you want it to work on the iPad and all the other devices, how could you, after the first sprint, deliver something when uh, every you know the application does a hundred things, you couldn't possibly you know it's useless unless it does a hundred of them, right? So I, I think that that's a big trap to fall into, which is 
I mean, let's face it, there's not a single user in your system that's using every single one of your features. So if you try to duplicate a system that already exists, you're going to spend a lot of time creating features that nobody's going to use. And you don't even have the benefit of ignorance at this point because you know nobody uses those features and you're, you're still implementing them. I think that's, that's something that's important is to implement one feature at a time and uh, do it on an on-demand basis because, first off, your CEO gets to have the product now while the iPad's still the latest thing and not whatever is after the iPad. And also, um, you don't spend time working on features that may not even be necessary. Well, and this, again, the, you're, the phrase you're saying is potentially shippable. It doesn't mean it has to be shipped or has to be released. So the, the goal is to do the features that you outlined in your sprint planning to the level of doneness that it is releasable. doesn't mean you have to release it. Although you should, if you could. Yeah, I mean, you should, you should try for continuous delivery of value. But just because it's the first sprint and maybe you, maybe you haven't delivered enough value that anybody would find it actually useful that's okay as long as the work that you did was was actually done in the the level of quality that you could ship it and and i think that's going to add two very important things to the project the first is you're going to start getting feedback right away so that uh you can start to fix things before you would have even released it and i totally forgot what the second thing is but it was also very important <laughs> i'm sure it was uh, so, so then is potentially shippable software more of a, like a mindset that you should, you should complete the work and you should plan the work and you should implement the work and test it and all those things. You should kind of implement that stuff with this mindset that at the end of the week, if the project were, I'm sorry, end of the iteration, if the project were canceled, uh, would we be in the position that we could deliver something if we had to, or, you know, should we, uh, wh like, what's the focus? Is it really just a yes. mindset, a way of thinking? Yeah, it really is. And, and for me, what it, what it helps me do is really focus on what is the smallest thing I can build that will deliver some sort of value by the end of my sprint. And how can I build it in such a way that I can expand upon that in, in future sprints so that I'm not, I'm not just building some sort of dead-end crappy solution, but that I'm building it well with the level of quality that if I were to release this, I would be proud of it, but also in a way that I can continue to grow this functionality into the ultimate uh, value and the ultimate product. And so, yeah, I, I think it does require uh, a mindset change to start to think about it that way. So you're, you're, you're building a, a small evolutionary product that, that grows over time instead of like these big chunks of revolution every so often. So, and then I think I've remembered what uh, what the other value is that I wanted to mention. That's too late. Well, I'm going to bring it up anyway. <laughs> we already shipped. Nope. And uh, <laughs> the other the other big thing is that you start building trust with the product owner and with the rest of the company really early on. Because uh, with a lot of large projects, like I think I think you've seen this in the past too, Clayton, where. <laughs> It's like a black box that the company is pouring money into, hoping that by release date, and usually not until a few months after the release date, um, they get their value back in terms of a shippable product. And if you're shipping every single week or shipping at least every single iteration, depending on however long the iterations on are, the company is going to be a lot more lenient with the decisions that you make because they can see continuing progress as you're making it. Um, so 
kind of J.D. go back to your idea of you know building these small little things that can evolve over time. Um, is it ever appropriate, or or is it possible that in the effort to build potentially shippable software, that you might do something uh, that isn't maybe quote unquote the right way to do it, or uh, if you had uh, say twice or four times as much time, you would do it totally differently. But in the effort of coming up with a solution that implements a small feature set, uh, you might do something one way that you have to maybe do some rework on later. Uh, is that possible? Is that a problem? Um, I think I think that if you know you're doing something the wrong way, why would you do that? So uh, I, I think I can kind of see what Clinton is talking about. Like, let, let's say that... Um, User authentication is a good example, right? Like, let's say we throw, we just slap in something really, really basic, and then we find out we need like all this role management stuff later, and now we got to swap out the whole thing, and it's deeply ingrained into the system, right? Like, that that seems like a situation in which there could be increased overhead later on down the road to implement a um, a like a, a new feature because of a design decision made early on. Right. Well, it also sounds like. In that case, maybe you made a poor, uh, maybe you it made your initial implementation poorly, right? If you did it well, and even if it was simple, it should be something that you could come back in and, and change later on. Right, but I think even in the case in which you do uh, make some change in the system in which it, it might slow down future decisions, like uh, like like in this example... I think you're still better off doing it this way because at least you have something in the meantime and something to show for it, right? And I guess that was, that was another way to think of this question is um, in, the, in an effort to create potentially shippable software at the end of your iteration, is it okay to also create some technical debt? Or is uh, the creation of technical debt to be avoided at all costs even if it means you don't have potentially shippable software? No, so, I mean... The- this is like real debt, right? Sometimes it makes sense to take on debt, but you have to pay it off at some point. So you need to be very clear in your mind as to why you're willing to take on this technical debt. And sometimes so yeah. sometimes you might not even know that you're taking on technical debt too. Like you might be making this decision because it's the information that you have at hand now. And if you had that other information of what you're going to feature you're going to implement later, like yeah, you might you might have made a different decision, but tough. You didn't have that knowledge at the time. Right. Well, let's go back to your example of uh, user authentication. Right. If we know we're taking on this debt, that we're we're pretty sure that at some point we need to implement something more comprehensive. Will Will the weight of that debt help us to make sure we make choices that make paying down that debt less painful in the future? If we're conscious of that debt that we're taking on. Um, and so to kind of go back to even earlier in the conversation, uh, what is a good measure? Like, how do we define what shippable means? Uh, it, how does how does value work into that? Uh, we had talked about how it's something that, you know, if the project were canceled, you could ship it um, or provide some value to somebody. Um, but, you know, what's the minimum level of value that you could provide uh, where it'd still be considered potentially uh, shippable? I mean, I think that's, that's up to the product owner. And if you are not delivering value in the entire sprint, what are you doing? Okay. And so then to the kind of trick question part of that is um, <laughs> if I so broadly 
uh, or so shallowly, I guess is maybe a better way to think of it. So shallowly to find value so that um, even the most trivial, stupid thing, I, could, I somehow BS my way through explaining how valuable it is. Um, does it really even matter, or are we just kind of mincing words with this whole potentially shippable thing? I think in that case, you're mincing words, because in that case, you have a bullshit product owner, right? Like, the product owner is responsible for making sure that the features have some kind of value to the stakeholders and the users of the system. And if they're incapable of doing that, I mean, it sucks for the rest of the team, but you can release all of the potentially shippable software you want, but nobody's going to give a shit about it. So what if, to go back to our banking app example, what if the first iteration is we release uh, a blank page, HTML page, that shows the corporate logo, and maybe it does some CSS3 animation or something with the logo, um, and we show it to somebody on the iPad. You know, Maybe I can make some argument for, oh, this was valuable because it shows that it works on this platform that the CEO was so happy about. Um, well, and someone maybe might say, well, that's maybe it's Maybe it's your first time ever building a web app. That that is value, right? That you've learned how to uh, develop and deploy it in a way that works. Okay, so then, so value doesn't necessarily have to be defined or derived from user the end customer user person using the system. Uh, not necessarily, I, but I do think that's a, a dangerous thing to get too far away from right. because that is the ultimate measure of. Whatever it is that you're creating is the value that it delivers to uh, the person that you're, or the you know the people that you're delivering it to. Right, that gets that gets tough too. Because then you get into developers that will want to refactor a certain section of code, right? And that doesn't ideally, if you're refactoring, you're not changing the behavior of the code at all. So you shouldn't be uh, delivering any value if you're refactoring correctly. So how do you justify the value in refactoring code when it has it's supposed to have no value to the actual end user. No well, no direct value, right? Because it might have indirect well, value and it makes yeah, future features easier. Right, exactly. And that and there is some value in that, right? But it it's a it's a very uh, challenging balancing act. I guess I guess it's why being a product owner is not as easy of a job as it sounds. You don't just <laughs> tell people what to do and then they do it and then that's your job. Yeah. So what do you think, kind of last question here, what do you think would happen if, um, you know, the average Scrum team that's kind of sort of doing Scrum at the average uh, corporation, whatever, uh, what would happen if at the beginning of their next sprint, uh, during their planning meeting, they planned for that entire sprint as if they were going to do potentially shippable software, uh, that, that at the end of it, if the project got canceled, they could ship whatever they had. Uh, what do you think would happen? Uh... I think they would drastically simplify what it is that they're trying to build. I think I think they would run into some immediate walls during the planning meeting just because it sounds like a team like this is probably not used to breaking down functionality into small or value into small enough chunks to release in these. But if they if they had some help or had an experienced team member on their team that knew how to break that type of stuff down, I think that they could see a drastic shift in the way that they view the project that they're working on. Okay, I think that wraps it up. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Scrumcast is brought to you by Integrum Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integrumtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.